So I was born in Renton, Washington, Seattle area, but I spent my, somebody said sorry, yeah. I, I was born at a very young age, I don't remember much of it, so. Um, I, I moved to Southern California, Orange County, somebody else is sorry about that. Listen, it's okay, I'm doing okay. Uh, for all my elementary school years, and I was there, and it was usually warm, and it didn't rain much. From what I can hear on the news, it still doesn't rain much there. And when it does, it's like a disaster. There's either no rain or like the whole state is underwater. It's crazy. But it didn't rain much. It actually was kind of a treat when it did rain. We didn't have a cafeteria like a lot of schools here do where you can go and have lunch in the cafeteria and it's inside a room. We ate outside for our lunches. So when it rained, we got to go in the classroom and eat our lunches in there and like play games and stuff. It was like this neat little trick. Everybody loved it except for the teachers who had to stay in with the kids during lunch, right? Like that was their one time to get away from these kids. Didn't work right for them. But it was fun, right? Because it rained so little. But that weather meant we could play outside a lot. And so I did. I played outside a lot. Our parents back in those days, this was a long time ago, our parents let us have incredible freedom. Like, like CPS is getting called freedom at this point, right? Like uh, we took off on our bikes, come home for dinner type thing. They didn't, my mom didn't know where I was. She didn't want me in the house. You know, she's doing her thing. And so she, I mean, she'd lock us out. She didn't care. Um, I had an Atari. Some of you may remember the Atari. Uh, it's not exactly an Xbox Series X, and you can only watch the little ball hit the little rectangle for so long before it's like, let's go outside. This is, let's wait a few decades. This will get better. Um, so we spent a lot of time outside with our friends, running around, causing trouble, living in community with other human beings. Uh, your friends were like the kids who lived in your neighborhood, right? Uh, you didn't really get to choose them. Uh, it wasn't like, what are you interested in? Oh, that's what I'm interested in. It was like, you live here, so we're gonna hang out together. You got what you got, right? You got what you got. And we learned to exist somehow in community. We grew social skills and we grew them the hard way, the hard way, through trial and error, through success and failure. We learned what made friendships that lasted and what caused tension and trouble and wasn't good for friendships. Uh, it was an important time to learn about relationship and to learn about friendship. And things continued that way for most of my life. I moved up here uh, just before seventh grade, moved to Washington, and things were similar here. We spent a lot of time hanging out, doing things outside, spending the night at each other's homes, fighting one another and forgiving each other and doing all those things that you do when you build relationships with people. And I was a person who liked to have friends and I liked to fit in. I wanted to, I wanted to have friends. So I paid some attention to what worked and what didn't. Some of you in here grew up like this. I can tell because your hair is gray and white like mine. Many of you did not. Uh, at some point in our culture, things changed. The ease and freedom of playing outside, riding bikes around town, and working out what relationships looked like, it just changed. It just wasn't the same anymore. We started to become afraid. And as we became afraid, we became very careful because a lot of unfortunate things did happen because of the freedom that we had back then, okay? Uh, let's not, let's not uh, play that like it wasn't a serious thing. When kids were running around all over the place all the time with no supervision, some bad things happened, right? Kids could get introduced to things that weren't good. There were people who would take advantage of kids. There was all that kind of stuff. People got hurt, um, took advantage of the trust of parents back in those days. That happened, and so we sort of reacted and probably overreacted 
And we started being, being very, very careful. At the same time we started being very, very careful, technology changed in a big way, right? We no longer had Ataris and 8-bit Nintendos. We now had the Xbox Series X and the, you know, iPhones and all, all the things that, that we have now that we didn't know anything about when we were growing up. Um, tablets, high-speed internet, entertainment at the touch of a button. Back then, it was entertainment at the flip of the three channels on your television. Remote control was you. That's how that worked. You were the remote control. You got to get up and, okay, there's nothing that's new. For a kid, it's like a certain part of the day was all news. And you're like, what? I'm going outside, right? It, 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 was, it was not the same as it is now where it's like, oh, I want to watch any movie that's ever been. Bloop, there it is. Yeah. Totally different. And I'm into it. Like, I like that ease of access. But it wasn't necessarily great for relationships. And we're going to sort of talk about that. But all of a sudden, we had screens everywhere, right? And right at the time when we preferred the kids didn't go outside because we were worried about what might happen to them, we didn't want the kids to go out without constant supervision. Well, the kids also at that time started to be able to entertain themselves without leaving the couch, without leaving their bedroom. They weren't getting as bored because they had these screens. So my children grew up with relatively unlimited entertainment choices and relatively constant adult supervision because I had seen some of the negatives that happened and I was aware of how people were in the world. And so for a long time, I wouldn't have let my kids play in the front yard without one of me or my wife there watching them. That's just the way it was because we did not trust people for a number of reasons. I have no interest in walking through how we could have done this better. We could have a whole conversation about culture and the mistakes that we made in that and raising these kids in the way that we did and not giving them enough freedom and whatever. We could do all that, but why? It's done. For better or for worse, I'm just telling you what's happened so that we can deal with it. Then, in 2020, after we had begun to spend massive amounts of time in front of screens, and screens had begun to, begun to sort of dominate a lot of people's lives, and we were already less and less spending time with people, we got the coronavirus, right? And people all over the world covered their faces and went inside. And... We did school from our homes. We did work from our homes. We even did church services from our homes. Again, it does not help us to wring our hands and try to push blame on whoever did this or that. that fine, do that at home, I, you know, do it on Twitter. Everybody else does. It doesn't matter. It happened. I want to talk about what we can do about it, not about what happened. In retrospect, who was right and who was wrong about lockdowns and who was too afraid and who wasn't. Either way, it happened. It happened. And because of all this, we have a population that has isolated themselves. We have a population that has not learned how to build relationships or has forgotten how. This is causing sadness. This is causing loneliness. This is causing mental health issues. This is causing broken relationships, anger, frustration, and ultimately sin because of sort of where we've come with all of this. But it should not be so among the church. This is important. It should not be so among the church. It should not be so among the people God has chosen and set aside for himself. We ought to know how to be good friends, good husbands, good wives, good sisters, good brothers, good sons, good daughters, good workers, good whatever. We should know how to be in relationship. We're the ones who have the word of God. We should know that. We need to restore community and relationship because we were created as relational. So we were created. If you remember back to it, 
It's God and Adam and, and Eve in the garden and relationship. And that was the idea. Relationship. We were made for it. We were made to, to exist within the context of good relationships. It was not, I don't know if you've read it lately, but when Adam was lonely, God didn't give him an iPad. <laughs> right? That's not what happened. Because it would be ridiculous, right? Although right now there's a lot of people who are replacing relationship with that. There's a lot of people who will be in the same room with other people. I'm one of them. And I look up and I notice we're all on our phones, right? That we're sitting there in a room where we could be talking or doing whatever. And we're sitting there going like this, talking to other people online. You know, our friends, our Facebook friends, the people you haven't seen in 20 years, but you care what, where they went on vacation or what they had for, you know, dinner that they took a picture of. Right? But then there's a person right there who you could actually talk to, but it's like, oh, this guy had a steak. Like, who cares? I don't care. Stop putting that stuff on your stuff. I don't care. Okay? No, you can do whatever you want. God doesn't care. I'm kidding. That's a, that's a different church that does that. Um, I'm kidding. You know what? Just send me the angry email. Um, we will not be glued to an iPad in heaven. I can tell you that. We will be experiencing the joy of work and play and experience in the context of relationship with God and with one another for eternity. That's what you're preparing yourself for. That's what you're moving into. That's where you are right now and where you'll be in fullness. And so a lot of this other stuff where we're, where we're focusing on ourselves and a whole lot of time alone, that's not who you are. It's not who you were made to be and it's not who you will be forever if you're a Christ follower. Something to think about. We should be living now like we'll be living then. And we should be doing that now. But more and more, we need to be committed to the hard work of thinking about and learning to be good at relationship. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are, this is you, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, duh, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We are the light of the world. The world has a huge problem, a huge problem. Now, of course, the biggest problem is that they don't know or follow Jesus, but we are a light to them. We're a light to them, leading them to our King, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We're a light to them. Matthew 4, 18 through 20. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Two things there. One, fishers of men. Two, when Jesus says to do something, we immediately leave whatever it is behind. It's not, it's not the fishing was bad. It was fine. Neutral. Good. But when Jesus has something for you, immediately leave that behind and follow him and what he's calling you to do. We are called, like the disciples, Peter and Andrew in this case, to be fishers of men. Men and women. Children. All of that. Drawing men to Jesus. How can we do that if we're not better at relationships than the rest of the world? John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, 
All will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People know that we are Jesus Christ's disciples by the love that we have for one another and that we show. You need to put that in your brain, in your heart, and it needs to stay there. Because it starts with a new commandment I give to you. You leave whatever else it is and you do what he commands, right? And this is what he commands, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's a big caveat. Who, what's the definition of love? As he's loved us. That's the definition of it. That you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now I want you to ask yourself this question in your heart. We're just going to kind of walk through it like a syllogism. If you are the light of the world and you are called to be fishers of men and you are commanded to love one another and the way people know you are Jesus' disciples is by your love for one another, then what's your relationship in the church look like? It's an important question, something you need to think about. If all those things are true, right, we're the light of the world. We've been called to these things. We're supposed to be fishers of men. We're supposed to be drawing people to the Lord. And you're commanded to love one another. And the way they know, the way they're aware of it is by seeing your love. Then what's your relationship look like in the church? Some of you may love the people in this church in your heart. But you do not show it in your relationships with those people. Let me just tell you something about light of the world and on a lampstand instead of under a bushel. If you don't show it, they can't see it. If they can't see it, they don't know you're his disciple. If they don't know that, they're not being drawn. And we're not being the light of the world. If it's not shown, it's not seen. Some of you struggle in general with some of your brothers and sisters in Christ. The world sees that. Some of you feel lonely because no one seems to reach out to you. And you don't seem to reach out to them. The world sees that. Some of us are just as addicted to our screens. I say this as I'm reading off the screen, but hey, listen. As our unbelieving neighbors are. Some of us don't look any different than our unbelieving neighbors when it comes to that. The world sees that. What should the world be seeing from us? The world should see consistent love from the church. Love for each other, right? Do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. We should be loving one another. And we should have love for them. And most of all, of course, love for God. Luke 10, 25 to 28. 28. And behold, a certain lawyer, this isn't going to be good, stood up. For those of you who don't know, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. Uh, and I still am, but, you know, I came to the Lord, obviously. So, you know. That's... Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. Pretty simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Simple, right? So simple. And yet it's everything. When we're feeling lonely and unseen and unloved and unincluded, then something is missing from this. Something is missing from this. Something is missing in our own thoughts or our own actions or something is missing in the thoughts and actions of our brothers and sisters in Christ or both. 
If you feel any of these things, lonely, unseen, unloved, unincluded, then something is missing, probably in both, probably in both you and those around you, that we are not loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because if we do that, then the next one comes naturally. We love our neighbor as ourselves. Why? Because he does. Because he loves you. Because he died for you. Because that's what he's called us to do. We cannot be constantly and consistently loving God and neighbor. We cannot be doing that as the people who are called to Acts Church and have anything other than an incredible witness to the world. Catching men and women for Jesus left and right. If we're doing that, we're getting that. It's that simple. It's that simple. If we are loving each other like this, we are a light. People, people want to be in relationship. God made, you can't get away from it. God made you for that. If you're a person, you're thinking in your mind, I don't really want to be around anybody. First of all, you're lying to yourself. You do. And second of all, you've walked off in, a, in, in the wrong direction because God literally designed you to be knit together with him and with those around you. Him first, others second. It's the way it works. It's who he's made you to be. We cannot be doing that well and have anything other than amazing things happen for the kingdom of God if we're doing it well. So how do we love better? How do we have better relationships? How do we maintain and grow more friendships? Well, I have a lot to say on that, but we begin, as we always should, with the scriptures and by following our king and our friend, Jesus. Right? What is the model? Let's look at it. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. That seems like a pretty steep barrier to entry to friendship. Hey, you want to be friends? Well, here's the thing. You willing to die for me? Like right now. Like, well, I, I thought we'd start with coffee, but, you know, I guess if you want to kill me, we'll go that direction. <laughs> This is what Jesus said, and this is what he did. He walked the walk that he talked, always. He died for us. And without his death and his resurrection, we were doomed. He did it for us as our Savior, as our friend, as our Lord, as our King. We were lost in our sins, and he found us, and he saved us. Because even though he was God, he was willing to be our servant. Now, you need to think about that. Even though he was God, he was willing to be our servant, to serve us by giving his life and rising from the dead. We are called to be servants. We are called to put others ahead of ourselves. Matthew 20, 24 through 28. And when the 10 heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. What did they hear? Well, there's, this is what happened. This is how what happened before this verse went down. They're walking, disciples, they did a lot of walking, never had a car. It was the whole thing. Just couldn't afford it. Um, they're walking, right? And what happens is you got John and James, okay? They're walking down, and, and their mom comes up to Jesus and says, hey, uh, can, can, we, uh, can I ask you for something? She's like, sure, what do you want? She's like, can my little boys sit at your right and your left hand? They had their mom ask, right? Oh, my gosh. Be a man. You can act like a man. You know, that's my Don Corleone for you. Okay. They had their mommy ask for them. Can I sit at the right hand and the left hand? 
Then Jesus says, of course, hey, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink and so on? They said, sure, I can. He says, well, you probably will, but I'm not going to decide that. The Father's going to decide that. In any case, the ten hear about it, and that's where we catch it up in this, in this passage. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. I wonder why. Because they wanted to be at the right and left hand. Not because they thought they weren't acting like men. Not because it was rude or something. It's because they wanted that. So they were displeased to them. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 9, 33 to 35, we have something similar. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what is, was it that you disputed among yourselves on the road? So he's asking the disciples, what, what were you arguing about while you're walking? But they kept silent, for on the road, they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. This is a problem with the disciples. They had this problem. One of us is going to be number one. That's how it's going to work. And he sat down, called the 12, and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, and they'll go, yeah, that's me, he shall be last. Last of all and servant of all. If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. If you want to know what love looks like, this is what it looks like. But I don't like that. I don't care. This is what the scripture says. Nobody likes it. We're all, in our flesh, we're all trying to be at the top of the ladder. That's the way it works because we think it's going to feel good. No matter how many people we see that get to the top of the ladder and say directly, this is the worst. It was not what I thought. Some of them commit suicide. Some of them throw their lives away, all kinds of stuff. And, and yet we still go, no, no, I'm pretty sure that's it. The richest, the most popular, the most famous, the most whatever. That's what we want, right? I mean, hopefully not us, but that's what the world wants. If you want to know what love looks like, this is what it looks like. And of course, the one who served Jesus Christ is above all that has been created. This worked out real well. He, of course, was God, and he came to serve, and he's above all. If he can serve and show us what it looks like to serve, even to death, then we can serve. We can serve each other. We are not like the Gentiles who lord it over and exercise authority. You have got to put others ahead of yourself. If you want to know what love looks like, if you want to be something different than the world, you've got to start putting others ahead of yourself. Do not claw for power and authority and turf and up, you know, the sort of corporate idea, like I just want to get to the next thing, I need the title, I need the authority, I need the turf, I need the whatever. Do not rule your home like a tyrant. Do not rule your relationships like a tyrant. Live like a servant. Stop thinking about what everybody else can do for you. Put others in front of yourself. You know who people really like to hang out with? People who put others in front of themselves. If you're thinking, who am I going to hang out with? I've got this person who I've constantly got to, you know, be all about them. I've never heard them ask me a question about me, that whole type of thing. Or I go to this person who always puts me first. One of those is more attractive. One of those is more attractive. 
We're going to walk through Philippians 2, 1 through 18. It's kind of a long um, passage, but we're just going to work through it. This is what the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, of course, it's rhetorical. There is. Consolation in Christ, comfort and love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection and mercy. All of those things are in the Lord. All of those things should be in the church. And he says, if, if that's true, then fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. If we're going to believe, which we do, that there is comfort and consolation in Christ, that there's affection and mercy and love and joy, if those things are true, then we need to what? Be of one mind. We need to be in one accord. That means we can't be sideways with one another. And that means we cannot bring, and this is, I want this to hit you, we cannot bring anything into the church that causes division between us that is unnecessary biblically. If the Bible doesn't say that we need to argue about it, we should not be arguing about it. If we don't have to because it's a matter of essential theology, you know, someone is, is a heretic. If that's not the case, or someone tries to say that sin isn't sin or something like that, other than that, we should not bring anything into the church that keeps us from being like minded. We literally have whole churches that sort of go one way or the other way in these particular subcultures. Whether that's kind of like a theological side point. There are churches who like over the issue of baptism are like, well, we're not going to hang out with you because you baptize like this. We put them six inches under and you put them eight inches under. <laughs> you know, come on. Nothing should come into the church that should keep us from being like-minded. We got, I don't know how many denominations out there, and I understand how they started, but it's time to start breaking down those walls and coming together as Christ followers, not letting anything keep us from being like-minded. Forbear. You do not need to prove your point on every issue that you think in your life if it causes division among your brothers and sisters. There are things that are important and worth talking about. There are very few things that are worth dividing over. And we're pretty good at that at Acts Church, in my experience. We don't do a lot of dividing. We got people who think all kinds of things. I got people politically over here. I got people politically over there. I got people who think this about that. I got people who like the prequels from Star Wars <laughs> in this church who have read the Bible. Grace. Grace, brothers and sisters. I will not be of one mind on that, but I won't be divisive with you over it. We've got duck fans here. We love them. They're our brothers and sisters. As long as they've lived in Oregon at some point. If you grew up in Washington, come on, player. All right. I feel like we're getting off of the scripture here. Let's get back onto it. Let nothing, nothing Nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Not some things, not only the things at work, not only the things in your home, not only the things in your sex life, not only the things in your money life, not only the things that, nope, nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Don't be selfish. Don't be about self all the time. Please, God, please, do not be selfish. 
It is killing you. It is killing our culture. It's killing families. It's killing marriages. It's killing friendships. Selfish, ambition, conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Thinking less about yourself. Let each esteem others better than himself. Try that on for size. Try walking around, and when you see somebody, you have that sort of prejudgment. This guy looks like he's had a rough time of it. Whatever it may be. Start thinking of that person as better than yourself. Esteeming them higher than yourself. Tell me, that wouldn't be a culture change. It would be for me. I'm not going to act like I don't have that kind of a thing. It's not necessarily that I go around thinking of myself as higher than others, but let's be honest. That's kind of where our thoughts go sometimes. Glad I'm not in that situation. Why did we watch Jerry Springer? It was like popular. We watched it because like, good, I mean, things are rough, but oh my goodness, it's not that bad, right? Like rarely are we actually throwing the chairs at each other at Thanksgiving dinner. They're doing it on TV. So I guess we're not that bad, right? People like that kind of stuff, but that's not what the scripture says. It's not what it says. It says, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. How does this affect me? How does this affect me? How does this affect me? Nope. How does this affect us? How does this affect her? How does this affect him? It will change your life to actually live biblically. But there is nothing in our culture, and I'm talking the whole world, the culture of the world, that will ever suggest that this is how you should live. Look out for number one. You be you, live your truth, do your thing. No. Nope. Esteem others better than yourself. Look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. It doesn't say you can't look out for your own interests. Just says don't only look out for your own own interests. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he's God. Okay? He's God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave. He was a servant. And coming to the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He was willing to do what he knew he was called to do, even to the point of dying, even death of the cross. Excruciating, that's where the word comes from. The cross, cruce excruciating. It literally is the word we use when we want to explain the worst pain we can have. That's how obedient he was. Therefore, because of that, here's the argument. Here's the conclusion. God also has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. That's what he gets because he was the ultimate servant. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Work, work for the Lord. Show your faith with works, for it is God who's doing it all to give you the will to do it and to do the work for you for his good pleasure. You have him. Because without him, I can't do any of this stuff. I can't think of others better than myself. I can't do anything but be selfish. But with him, I can do all of these things. Do all things without 
complaining, and disputing. Oh. If we could get that one, we'd be somewhere. And we're not a particularly complaining church, I'll be honest with you. I've seen complaining. I could name you some. Come to me afterwards. I'll tell you some churches that are complaining. No, I won't. Because I esteem others better than myself. That's why. But listen, do all things without complaining and disputing. Stop complaining and stop disputing. Oh, I'm too good for that. Hey, can you do this for us? No, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to do the thing that I think I'm good at. I want, to do, I, want to use, I want to use my gifts in the way that I want to use my gifts. Oh, but we really, really need people in Acts Kids. That's not for me. When you have this, I'll do that. When you have this, I'll do that. I don't want to do the thing that you need. I want to do the thing that I need. Something to think about. To ponder, to put in our hearts. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Do we have that? Check. We got that, right? You don't need to go far. Go down to the drag queen story hour and see a bunch of parents who bring their children to this nonsense and ask yourself if we're a crooked and perverse generation, right? And you don't have to look that far. Look to, look to the local state house or the you know, Congress. You want to see perverse, crooked, ugly, we're there. So what are we? Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Here we have that idea repeated. They're crooked and perverse as you once were before Christ saved you, as I definitely was before Christ saved me. And what are we to them? The same thing people were to us, to draw us to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to them that thing, to draw them out of that because God has grace and he will give them grace and if they confess their sin, he will be faithful and just to forgive them for their sin and cleanse them from all unrighteousness, no longer perverse, no longer crooked. That's what he did by being a servant. That's what he did by dying and rising again. And we're the light of the world to that generation. And how do we do that? How do we show them all this stuff I'm talking about? Live this way, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul was a servant. He was a servant. He served faithfully. When he, when he went to a church where they were going to have issues about money, he didn't take anything from them. He poured himself out and worked making tents so that he could continue to teach the word of God because they had issues, right? And we'd go from place to place and they'd say, we, we need you here, we need you here, and the Lord would call him, and he'd go and sometimes it would be okay, but usually real bad. He was stoned, not in the Washington sense of that. I mean, they threw rocks at him. That happened a number of times. Beaten, shipwrecked, all of these things. He's pouring his life out. Why? Because he followed the king. He followed Jesus, who was a servant. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Stop listening to the world. Stop listening to the world. Higher is not the goal. Higher in this world is not the goal. God is everything. Not your own glory, his glory. Stop believing that if you can just get to the next level, if you can just level up, that that does something for you. 
His glory is revealed to the world when you love like a bondservant. His glory is shown in your light to the world when you sacrifice and serve. That's how it looks. You want to be a light to the world? Look like him. He was the light. I don't know if you know this. People are still talking about him 2,000 years later, partially because he's still alive. And he's with us even to the end of the age. Amen, right? When we esteem others better than ourselves, we show Christ to the world. We are a light. We are, as a culture, drunk on ourselves. What do you think all this personal identity stuff is? That's, that's rampant. You can get mad about it if you want, but the world's the world. The world is already broken, so of course they're going to do this. But what do you think this is about? It is a perversion, and it, the, the biggest perversion about it is a focus on self instead of others. I identify as one thing, folks. One thing. A sinner who has been saved because Christ was crucified and rose from the dead. My identity is 100% in him. I'm not going to tell you all the other things that make up my identity. I don't build my own identity. He decides what it is. My identity is in him. I don't need your respect. What I want is for you to let me humbly serve you. To lay down my life for you. I'm not asking for anything back. I want the best for you. I want you to grow. But I can't live my life needing from you. You can't live your life needing from one another. But you can live your life needing him. He's the only one we need. And you can live your life wanting the other things. I want your respect. I want your love because I have love and respect for you. But I don't need it. And I'll serve you either way. And have done for people. And you have too. You know what that's like. And you know who rewards that? God at the Bama seat. When you're standing there before the Lord and there's all this wood, hay, and stubble that's, at least for me, that's like going up, my eyebrows are gone, the whole thing, and then there's some gold, silver, precious jewels hopefully there, that's all that service. That's all that being like Jesus stuff that's going to be left when you do for others, not expecting a return. Watched a video yesterday uh, where, on Twitter and where a guy... Uh, Walks into a restaurant with a gun, okay? So there, it looks like it may be somewhere in, in uh, South America or something. This guy comes, it's kind of like a, it's a restaurant, but like the walls are open. Anyway, this guy walks in, he's got a gun. This other guy's sitting here with either his wife or his girlfriend, it looks like. I guess it could be his sister, or it could be some random woman, but it looks like he's on a date, okay? He, his eyeballs see this guy with the gun. He gets up and walks out, leaves the girl there. He said nothing to her. He wasn't like, he didn't grab her hand and like, let's get out of here. He didn't stand between her and the guy. He just like, he's out. He's just out. She's sitting there like, what in the, and the guy with the gun like, okay. You know, that's my last internet date. You know, it's, it was real bad. It was so bad. That guy's going to have a hard time when people realize who he is and then he tries to go on another date. Like, hey, you want to go out? No. No, I think I'm good. He didn't even warn her. He just split, man. He's out of there. That is the opposite, if you want to know, of what we're called to. Even the unbelievers know that's nonsense. That's how it made Twitter. We are called to serve, to care, to sacrifice, and to lay down our lives. Jesus has shown us. He has taught us. We have to get over ourselves. 
The next time you're feeling bad, ask yourself, what is the primary thing I am thinking about right now? Me, God, or others? Because we know it's God, others, me. So which thing is making me really upset? What's the thing that I'm getting really worked up about right now? My own personal offense? I don't have something that I want. Things aren't going my way. People aren't treating me the way I want to be treated. Or am I thinking about God and who he is and what he's done and his glory? And then thinking about others and what I can do for them and esteeming them higher than myself and thinking the best of them and having one mind with the church and all that kind of stuff. What are you doing? What is your thought life like? Are you humble? Are you humble? You got to ask yourself that question. So if you're like, yeah, well, you're the ones who aren't. Okay, because you thought you were. No, I'm just kidding. Moses, you know, it says right in the scripture, Moses was the most humble man that ever lived. You know who wrote that? Moses. So (laughs) apparently you can know. Apparently you can know. Most humble man on the earth, Moses. Um, Anyway. We got to stop thinking so much about ourselves. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person. I've never thought about greasy with humble, but that's, they're English, so that's the whole thing. Who is always telling you that, of course, he is a nobody. Of course, I'm nothing. You know the type. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And the biggest step, too. At least, nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. (laughs) Kind of nails it. Hits me where it counts in the heart. Because it's biblical. You humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Look at the pattern of Jesus. Service. And above all, you want to receive from God the praise and all of that as his son or daughter, then serve. You've got to be willing to do the first thing first. Think less about yourself. I think Rick Warren said, humility is not thinking less about yourself, but thinking about yourself less. And I think that's the idea. If we could do that, we'd probably get somewhere. I think that book started out, it's not about you. I think he was right. It's about God. It's always about God. We are thinking far too much about ourselves because we are spending far too much time with ourselves. I I, I live a life where I spend a lot of time with other people, and it's great. And I can't, honestly, I can't imagine spending as much time as I see some people spending by themselves. It's not good for you. It's not good for your, the way you feel, for the way you think. It's not good for your mental health. It's not good for any of that. You are designed to be with other people. Let's not spend so much time by ourselves, with ourselves. We need to spend real time with real people in real relationships, real friendships that last for eternity, that are defined by love, the kind of love we're talking about here, and service, and bring joy, and refreshing. Listen, I want you to know something. 
People come to me sometimes and are struggling with this kind of stuff. They don't feel loved. They don't feel seen. They don't feel needed or wanted, that kind of thing. And it breaks my heart. For those who are in the body of Christ, who feel lonely, who feel worthless, who feel hurt, who feel unloved, it breaks my heart. And I think about just how much worse it is outside. And I think about these kids in these schools that are determined to destroy them with ugly, evil philosophies that make them feel worthless and the whole time tell them that they're supposed to think of themselves as so high. And they know it's not true, but no one's speaking the truth to them. And we, meanwhile, in the church get caught up in ourselves and don't do our job of being a light to the world so that they have someone to come to. And we need to start doing this. And we need to start doing it right. I love you. I know you love one another because you belong to the King of Kings, Jesus Christ the righteous. So I know you love one another. We must, and Lord willing, we will be a church who is known for our love, for God, for one another in this body, and for others. We need to be known as that. When people say, Acts Church, they need to be like, yeah, those people are crazy in love with their spouses, with their kids, with each other, with, with the people that, they, that they're around. They just have all this love, constantly building each other up, lifting each other up. That's who they are. I don't care what they say about our worship or our preaching or whatever. The first thing they should see, the light that they should see is our love for one another because that's how they know we're Christ's disciples. There's tons of people out there who are listening to sermons this morning, who will read their Bibles this week, who will do all those things that we traditionally look at as Christian, and they're good things. But the thing that people look at to know you're a disciple is your love for one another. Not those things. Not those things. Those are secondary That's great, but at the heart, the question is, what is that sermon and that Bible reading and that worship, what is it doing to your heart? Is it making you love one another? Or are you still just as self-absorbed as everybody else? I gotta ask myself that, you gotta ask yourself that. I have much more to say about how to build and nurture friendships. And I think there's some practical biblical advice for how to do that, but I had to get at the heart of it this morning. I have so many good and fruitful friendships. I really do. And God has given them to me. And I want you to have these kinds of relationships also. For those of you who don't, it is so life-giving to have brothers and sisters in Christ who you have real relationships with and people who aren't in Christ yet, who you are, who you are hopefully fishing for, drawing them to the Lord. But the most important relationship I have is my relationship with God. He is the one who sustains me. I live in the love of the Father and the salvation and hope that I have in the Son of God, and the power and wisdom I have in the Holy Spirit. If you don't know Jesus, let me just tell you something. In terms of relationship, you're kicking against the goats. For those of you who don't have oxen at home, there's... So the oxen, back in the day, the oxen would have, there's these goats, they're just spikes, right? And you want to keep the oxen going where you want them to go, and so... Spikes were used, right? That's, it works. And so the idea is you're kicking against that. You're trying to go the way that's not going to get you there. Stop kicking against the pricks. Stop kicking against the spikes. If you don't, if you have not given your life to Jesus, give up and surrender and find him because there's so much freedom and life in him. And then worry about relationships because I don't care how, well, I feel like my relationships are good. That's fine. Feel however you want to feel. I can tell you they are nothing like the ones that I have 
since I've been in Christ. You can have okay relationships. You can do the things, even as an ungodly person, that would help with relationships, but you're just not going to have the power of relationship that you'd have without Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have Jesus, you're a slave to sin. And I'm telling you that because I love you and because I don't want you to be a slave to sin, but a slave to Christ. He's the only one who you want to be serving, not sin. You can be set free today through the servant leadership and love of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. All you need to do, according to the scriptures, is confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's it. That's it. And you can have newness of life in him. We need some newness around here, folks. We've been dragged down. I've been, I have been too. I have been too. All the screens and all the COVIDs and all the this and all the that. It's not been good. We need newness. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us to show something new to this world. So prepare yourselves to be changed and transformed as you think through these things, as you let God work on you. My job is to tell you what the scripture says. The Holy Spirit's job is to get it in your heart. And he'll do that. So let's learn to live and grow in relationships. Let's do this. Let's love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And let's love our neighbor as ourselves.